0: What's going on through our church family? We're so grateful you're tuning into this week's podcast. We pray this message will bless you in the same way it has blessed our house this past Sunday. All right. 11 o'clock. How are we doing this morning? Good. Well, I'm excited for what God's doing. Pastor Ben, thank you. That was like 20 announcements, but you crushed it, friend. And I'm just excited it's the Christmas season. We got some decorations up and we're getting ready and I'm just uh grateful for what God's doing in this house. Grateful that you're here today. And so uh we're going to go ahead and continue our all of me series. We're not going to do a Christmas series. We're going to continue our series on the life of David. We're going to do it all the way to the end of the year. I told you this I think about a couple weeks ago and just kind of forewarning now, right? Um we feel like it's kind of best of kind of what the spirit is leading us to do is kind of continue to teach on David. And today is going to be an interesting and rather intense conversation about the life of David. So we're going to get ready for that. Sound good? And so stand your feet with me. We're going to read a lot of Bible this morning. I'm talking about the whole chapter. And so I need y'all to stay in it. Okay. I want you to stay in it with me and we're going to read it out loud. We're going to go to second Sam or not out loud. We're just gonna read it. I'm going to read it to you. We're good because it's too much to read out loud. And so we're going to go to second Samuel chapter 11. And uh, as you're kind of finding that, as you're kind of taking a look on your Bible and your phones, let's do this real quick. Can we welcome everyone watching online this morning? Come on, let's thank them for watching online. We appreciate our online part of our church. They couldn't make it today, but they're still part of our family. We love you, and we're so excited to have you with us. Hopefully, you can be in the room next week, and if you can't, we still love you, and we're grateful for you, and if you are on Facebook, YouTube, you can share this service right now. You can go on your phone, share it, tag us, Instagram, do whatever you need to do. You never know what one invite's going to do, and I believe today, the message that's going to be today, has the potential to really transform someone's life in a real way, and so we're going to go to 2 Samuel. We're going to read chapter 11, almost the entire chapter for the most part. And what we're going to do is we're talking about when David falls today. We are finally at the point of the story where we come to the uh, climax of David's life, where David actually falls into sin. And we're going to discuss that. We're going to read about it. And we're going to believe that God's going to speak to us through this story and through this narrative this morning. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to go verse 1 all the way down to 17. And then we're going to skip a few verses and go 22 to 27. Here we go. It says this. It says, In the spring of the year... The time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof of a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. Verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to David, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Verse 8. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. Verse 10, when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and his servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next promise we're halfway through. Keep with me. All right, here we go. And David invited him and he ate and drank in his presence So that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting. And then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. Verse 17. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite died also. Now we're going to skip a couple. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back. We drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the well. From the wall, some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you, you should say to Joab, Do not let this manner displease you, for your sword devours no one, and now another. Uh, strengthen your attack against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to this house, to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. And I want you to catch this last verse because it's important. We're going to talk about this really today. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Family, let's pray. Jesus, help us. We talk about a a rather hard subject, but it, it it is necessary. And Father, I pray that you would speak and you would move in this place and that every heart and mind would be open to what you have to say. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat, go ahead and have a seat. I want to talk to you today about a hard topic, but I believe a necessary topic, and that is when David sins. And the reason I believe it's so necessary is because we have to, in this modern day and in any modern day, preach and teach and talk about, if we're followers of Jesus, we have to talk about the topic of sin. And the reason why we have to talk about the topic of sin is because God talks about the topic of sin. And so we have to talk about what God talks about, whether it makes us comfortable or uncomfortable. And it is so important in this day and time, because as we live in a culture and society who think sin is a philosophy or an idea or a feeling. No, no. Sin is deeper than that. It is a reality. And this reality has consequences. Sin is something that can poison, and it does poison and damage our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and is ultimately the thing that Jesus came down for to rescue us, to heal us, and to set us free. In the Western culture of church, in a lot of ways, I'm not talking about a specific church. I'm just speaking in general. We, we kind of don't like talking about sin, and I know today is not a Christmas message. Come on now. Right. You all came in the the tree, the lights. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be so happy. And Pastor Chris is going to make me feel good. Not today. We're going to get a little bit in your Kool-Aid. What I do hope that happens, though, more than a feeling is that God begins to speak to you about maybe some areas in your life that you need to work on. And what I find with this verse, to be honest, that is so powerful, yet uh, is daunting and trembling at the same time, is that It happened to one of the most iconic men in all of Scripture. And what you'll find in Scripture is actually Jesus, God, Father, Holy Spirit, the writer of of, of our Scripture, of our Bible, has no problem highlighting the miracles and the miraculous moments and the faith of individuals, but those same individuals highlighting when they fall and when they mess up. And actually what you'll notice is that the people who love Jesus the most or love God the most in scripture end up getting exposed with their sin the most. And the people who aren't really serving God, God doesn't really talk about them. And I think the reason why God does that, it's not to humiliate the individual or to embarrass the individual, but to reveal to us on how not to make the same mistakes that that individual made. I read this today. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of Sundays where I'm excited to preach. Most Sundays, as you can tell, I'm kind of all over the place, right? I'm kind of like, ah, just my personality. Imagine me on coffee. I don't drink coffee. Imagine me on coffee, right? I'll be honest. I've been really nervous. Isn't the right word. Uh, Although every week I'm nervous because I'm not just talking a lesson, but I really believe that when we preach on this stage and when we teach and share and, and share the gospel, um, I really do. I believe that when we come on this stage, whether it's me or another preacher, it's like heaven and hell. It's a big deal. So there's a little bit of nerves because you want to make sure that you're honoring the Lord with your whole life. And your voice and your lips and what you're saying is matching up with the lifestyle that you live. This one's rather particular though and peculiar in that I've I've kind of been trembling at the fear of God This whole week as I've been studying, praying, processing, meditating, sent it to a couple friends of mine as well outside of our church to just ask their opinion on some of my notes and some things. And I think the reason being is because if David is as amazing as he was and as an incredible of a man of God and did all these amazing things for Jesus and yet still did this, what makes me think I can't do it as well? And so when we go to this passage, I'm preempting this, I'm prefacing this That if we look at this story with condemnation and arrogance that we can never do this, we're missing the point. We have to look at this story and say, God, what in this passage are you revealing to me and my heart? So that way I don't fall in the same way that David fell. And as a preacher, this scares the life out of me. Because I know so many preachers in this season that have fallen left and right. And we think we're better than David, but we're not. And so I'm going to journey on this with you today. And I'm excited because when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. And I believe that as I was Learning and processing and and, and digesting, I'm like, wow, God, this is actually life giving. And, And I love it because what we find at the end of the story is that Jesus still is the solution to sin. Jesus still is the antidote to the things that plague us that we do that we're not supposed to do. That the gospel still works today. That no one is too broken. No one is too dark. No one is too lost. And that if you're in this room struggling with sin or secret sin or the bondage of sin, I came to tell you today that there is hope and there is freedom and is in a person and his name is Jesus. And so we're not just going to identify things and then you feel bad about yourself and leave. No, I believe that through identifying this, that what it's going to do is the Holy Spirit's going to reveal. He's going to shine light. And this is what I've learned. Two thirds of the battle is just shining light on the thing. So we're going to expose some things this morning. And what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about what I believe are the patterns of sin. Have you ever hung out with someone in your family or you hang out with another family and you're like, wow, you are all related. Like they all look the same. You know what I'm saying? You ever see someone like, yup, that's your sister. You got the same eyebrows. You got the same attitude. You got the same face when you're mad. You guys look and act the same. Like in my family, all my kids, they have their great grandmother's eyebrows. All the cousins, all the cousins, my, my, my wife, her grandmother, right? Her grandmother had these eyebrows. And I swear to you, All the cousins have the same eyebrows, right? They all look different. But when they wake up in the morning, their eyebrows are up because they got them from Lala, which is their great grandmother. They all got the same eyebrows. They're related. Each sin is different, right? Your sin is not the same as my sin. I struggle with something. You struggle with something. It's different. But can I tell you that even though sins are different and unique in their action, they still are related to each other. They still have familiar parts Of what they are, whatever the sin is, sexual morality, lying, cheating, cursing, whatever, whatever it is that you're dealing with. They're related. And so what I want to do today, and I believe what God is kind of revealing partially in this passage, not just completely. There's so much more in every passage. It would be arrogant for a preacher to say, this is exactly what God is saying. And that's the only thing that God is saying. I believe that what he wants to do is reveal some of the patterns of sin so that way we can identify those patterns of sin. And so that way we can no longer struggle with the same patterns of sin and that God can begin to heal us of the sin that we are struggling with internally. Make sense? So I got 10 points for you today. And I got 20 minutes. Let's go. Good luck. We're going to see how far we can get, but I think we'll get to it. So let's start with point number one. Point number one is sin often starts with complacency. Devil's or idle hands are absolutely the devil's playground. Right, I have learned in seasons of my life when I have struggled with sin, it is often because I am in a place in my spirit or my heart or even my environment of complacency and apathy. Let me explain a little bit, and we're going to really go through verse by verse in this passage. It says in 2 Samuel verse 1 that at the time that kings went to battle, David stayed home. I want to catch, I want you to catch that one more time. I want to say that one more time. At the time that kings went to battle, David did not go to battle. See, a few chapters before though, we understand that the Bible says that, and then God gave David rest. And so there are seasons God will give you of rest and there are seasons that God will give you of battle, meaning there are seasons of action and there's seasons of calm. There's seasons of doing things and there's seasons of not doing things. And what David found himself in is he tried to be in one season when God called him to be in a different season, because if David was at war, David would have never went on the roof. Sometimes the reason why you sin is not because of just this inerrant thing in you, although that could possibly be the case. It is because you are allowing yourself to be in the wrong season in the wrong environment today. You think it's a season of chill and God's calling you to action. You think it's a season of just taking a step back when God's calling you to move three steps forward. And what we can do is we can allow our complacency and our apathy to allow sin in our life. David was in the wrong season. It says at the time when kings were going to battle, David decided to delegate the problem. And whenever you delegate something that God calls you to, it will always produce in something that is inconsistent and complacent. You cannot delegate what God calls you to. And so some of us in this room... As we identify the patterns, what we can understand is maybe you just need to stop being around the thing that you're falling into sin in. Maybe you need to lock your phone or your computer. Maybe you need to stop going to the bar and parties. Maybe you need to go ahead and stop getting around those friends that you know you're not supposed to be around with. You are somewhere you're not supposed to be. I told you it was going to be a tough one today. We could just come up and come to the altar right now. Sin often... starts with complacency. David follows in this sin because, man, he is struggling with complacency in his heart because he is in the wrong environment and he's not where he's supposed to be. Some of us need to stop the pattern of sin by allowing God to address the complacency of our heart, not just the behavior. Second. All right, we got nine more. Here we go. Number two, sin is centered in selfish desire. I want you to know that you never sin for someone else. Sin is always rooted in selfish desire. And in a culture that tells you, do whatever makes you feel good, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to understand this, that the reason some of us are struggling with sin is because we're selfish. We are. I learned how selfish I was when I first got married. How many can relate? You Like, everything's awesome. The world's all about me. And you get married and you're like, whoa, the world's not all about me. And then your kids come around and they mess up everything. They ruin it all. They take your budget, they take your money, they take your sleep, they take your bed. It's the worst. Like, I love them, but dude. And right, it's selfish, it's selfish, it's selfish. Sin is always centered in selfish desire. So here in the story, verse 2, it says that David went up on the roof, and as he was just hanging out on the roof where he wasn't supposed to be because he's supposed to be at battle, he sees a woman who apparently is beautiful taking a bath or a shower. Now, I think when we read this, we think it's like, I'm right here, the woman's over there, and it's like down the street, and like, it's very visual. What you learn, if you actually look at the culture and, and, the, and the architectural landscape of the time in Israel, and I learned this because my father-in-law has been to Israel many times. He works for a company out in the Bay Area, and my father-in-law goes to Israel all the time. He's been there multiple times. I, I don't know how many. I said a number last time, and I think I was wrong, so I'm not trying to get it wrong because we're recorded this one, and uh, he's been there a lot, and he, he, you do these tours, like they do Bible tours in Israel, and he did a Bible tour on just some of the stories of the Old Testament, and he went to David's house, and he went on. David's house he went on the roof and then the tour guide was like here's where David was and then all the way down there the tour guide said like this random house all the way down that's where Bathsheba's house was and my father-in-law was like right everyone else is like eh, whatever he's like like down there and he's like yeah he's like you mean like not across the street like down there and he's like yeah the tour guide's like all the way down there and my father-in-law was like you can't see nobody naked that far You can't. This dude was just doing things he wasn't supposed to do. So what we think in the story, because because especially, right? Come on, men, That's what we do. We try to blame someone else. Well, she was the one taking a bath. I wasn't my fault. It's like, bro, what you doing in. And we think it's like right there. No, no. What, what actually happened is she was so far out that you could even barely see her. David chose To sin because he desired something that he should not have. His sin was rooted in selfishness rather than just the lust of his eyes. And what we will try to do is we will blame all sorts of things, especially Christians when you sin. Can I get in your Kool-Aid a little bit? Like you try to over-spiritualize your sin with Christian lingo. Yeah, right? Yeah. And then you try to check off boxes to make yourself feel good, but you're still struggling with the same sin. Can I tell you that's ridiculous? Right? Well, it's just the lust of the eyes. Or it's just the lust. Oh, my flesh is just weak. Bro, you just need to stop being dumb. You're selfish. And you stop being selfish. And it's not just the men. Ladies, it's you too. Humans, we got to stop being selfish. Our desire for self cannot be greater than our desire for the Lord. When your desire for self is greater. Self gratification will always produce sinful actions. Not saying you can't love yourself. But self-desire is different than self-love. And we learned the difference with that with the gospel. David is self-gratifying himself. He wants something he knows he shouldn't have. And how do we know that? Because number three, sin ignores the warning signs. I've learned this. When I've struggled with sin in my life, God, first, he's like, don't do the thing. How many of you know that? Like, you know you're not supposed to do the thing. And then now you're in the middle of the moment where you're about to do the thing. And then how many you know, like either someone will call you, Or text you. Or a verse will come in your brain. Or something will happen. And it's literally like a warning sign. Can I tell you that God is going to try to stop you from doing the thing? Right? You're literally like, oh man, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And you get a phone call from like a friend or a church friend. And you're like, delete. (laughs) Come on, I know I'm not the only one that's done that. And why? Because God will try to put stop signs. But this is what sin sin does. Sin will run through the stop signs. Sin will run through all the red lights. Do I know this? Because here goes David. He goes downstairs and he asks one of his servants, hey, there's some woman taking a bath. Who is that? And the woman's like, bro, it's Uriah's wife. Meaning you can't have her, bro. She's married. That's what he, that's what that servant was trying to say. And don't you know that that's Uriah's wife? And David's like, I don't care. Let's pass the warning sign. Let me help you a little bit for some of you that are walking in habitual sins. Listen to the warning sign. I promise you it's not the devil telling you not to sin. Guarantee. If you're like, I don't know how to hear the voice of God. I just hear this voice telling me not to do the thing. It's probably Jesus. Guarantee it. Guarantee it's probably Jesus. There's no way it's God, or it's the devil trying to tell you to stop sinning, when that's the very thing that the devil wants you to do. The very thing the devil wants you to do is to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And he's going to do it through the action and attitude and nature of sin that he tries to attach to us. And so what will God will do? God will send us warning signs. Yes, it's from Jesus. The text was from Jesus. The phone call was from Jesus. The billboard was from Jesus. The worship song that randomly came on when you were trying to listen to whatever ratchet music you were listening to, and all of a sudden, oh comes on (laughs) yes that's a sign just take it right David's like well I wonder if that was like yes don't sleep with her bro right just don't do the thing but yet sin ignores the warning signs here's what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is part of the process in the beginning of our sin in the middle of our sin and at the end of our sin Which tells me that even though we do sin, he's still not giving up on us just yet. In the beginning, he's trying to tell us not to. In the middle, he's still believing that we won't. And at the end, he gives us an outlet of repentance. And this is what I've learned, is that God will reveal your sin to give you mercy. God's not revealing your sin to expose you and humiliate you. But he will reveal your sin, even though you went through all the warning signs, because he still loves you and he still wants you to return to him. Because God's grace and God's mercy is greater than us getting away with what we want to get away with. And he wants all of your heart, not some of it. And so some of us in the room need to follow the warning signs. But yet David didn't. Number four, sin always conceives consequences. Right? This one's kind of an obvious example. David sleeps with a woman he's not supposed to. She ends up getting pregnant. Duh. Like, if you've ever thought the Bible is boring, you need to read David. This is top-notch telenovela, next-level storytelling. You can't make this stuff up. This stuff is next level. It's like, man, I just fall asleep because the Bible is boring. Bro, Bible's not boring. You're probably boring. That's what Corey Russell says. You're boring. I love that line because it's true. Right? Look at this story. This dude went and stole someone's wife, and now she's pregnant. I'm like, ooh, that's some tea right there. We're going to get in it. Sin always conceives consequences. You think your sin does not produce something else in your life? It never stops with just the action, family. I want you to understand that just because you do something wrong doesn't mean it stops right there. And that self-gratification that lasted for how many long, maybe a minute, maybe a day, whatever the case may be, it stops and then something else gets produced. It's a seed that goes into the soil of your heart and begins to produce bad fruit in your life. Sin will always conceive something that should have not been conceived. Now it doesn't mean God can't redeem it, but why are you forcing God to do something that he shouldn't have to do? Sin will always conceive consequences. Don't ever think that sin is just in its of itself. And don't ever think that sin doesn't have a consequence, because it does. And it absolutely does. And it always will. Unchecked sin, especially. There's one thing when we sin, and then we allow God to clean our hearts out and we repent and then we don't go back to that sin there's another thing when we un, when it's unchecked sin it produces more unchecked sin and more unchecked sin sin will always conceive a consequence so let's not be naive because that's what the enemy wants to do he doesn't want you to mess up once he wants you to mess up all the time because that's how he traps you he doesn't trap you with just one moment he traps you with continual habitual sin and the next thing you know you think you're a christian in freedom but you're living in bondage like you were before you were saved Sin will always conceive a consequence. Number five, sin cannot be managed by man-made ideas. Because that's what David did, right? He says, okay, I messed up. I got it. I got a plan. How many of have ever done that? You messed up. It's your fault, but I got a plan. I got this. I'm going to call Uriah because I got his wife knocked up. And so I'm going to call Uriah. I'm going to have them hang out together. And then he's going to think it's his baby. He's going to be happy and I'm going to be free. How many of you know that God did not save you so you could manage your sin? God is not interested in managing your sin. God is not interested in making you feel better about your sin. God is not interested in your sin being part of the equation of your life. God came on the cross and died for your sins to eradicate your sins. To wash your sins away. To have you have freedom and to rescue you from any bondage and every slavery and any captivity. Yes, I might fall, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to continually fall. Yes, there might be things I struggle with because I'm not God, but that doesn't mean that my life is all sin management. I know what it's like to be one way in church and another way in the world and sometimes it feels worse than when before you were just in the world why because you have all this weight and this pressure and this anxiety and this depression because you know you are living a life that you're not supposed to live and the ideas never work come on someone's got to shut me down for that one i'm just saying like they're dumb they're always dumb have your kids ever tried to like clean up and they just made more of a mess like, that's what my daughter does. I'm like, go clean up the room. And she just starts pulling more stuff out. I'm like, forget it. It's a lost cause. It's over. That's what our idea is. This David creates more of a mess by trying to manage his own sin. Here's also the point. You can't fix yourself. Sin cannot be handled by you. The gospel is the antidote to the sin of your life. Only Jesus can get rid of the thing that you caused because only he can pay the price that you cannot pay. Sin cannot be managed by man-made ideas. David could not fix it himself. And it just kept getting worse and worse. Number six, sin blinds us from authentic integrity. Why doesn't it work? Because David thought that Uriah was just as a sinful man as David. But Uriah had more integrity than David did. Uriah throws a wrench in the plan. This dude who came home, who should be with his wife and everything, he decides to sleep in front of the door of his king. He's just sleeping on the front door, like on the porch, like a dog. Why? Because he refused to allow himself to get out of battle because he knew the season he was in. And what happens is David then is blinded by Uriah's integrity, and he, he now judges Uriah and treats Uriah differently for having more integrity than him. That's what sin will do. Sin will make you focus on someone's speck where Jesus says you have a plank. And what we do is we will get mad, especially secret sin. We will get mad at other people's radical integrity for God because of the secret sin in our life. And it will blind us. It will blind us of the people who are actually are legit and trying to help us in our life. You know what sin does? It begins to sever the relationship, not just with God, but with people. That's one, of the dam- that's one of the most damaging, heartbreaking things about sin. It's not just that me and God aren't close because I'm disconnecting from God. Remember that? When I sin, it's not that God's pulling away from me. It's that I'm pushing God away. Right? Because God's right there. He don't move. You ain't strong enough to move him. But also, you start pushing others away. Why? Because if the enemy knows you can keep sinning and you keep isolating yourself, he's winning. You will be blinded by what the real truth is, by authentic integrity, by honesty and commitment. You'll, you'll think good people are bad people. You'll always be a victim. You'll always treat others like they're out to get you because your sin has blinded you from truth. David loved Uriah. He was one of his dudes was one of his men. We find that he was one of his servants. He knew him. We know this. And yet he treated him different because he had more integrity than in his own heart in that time. Sin blinds us from authentic integrity. Come on. We got a few more. You guys still with me? Number seven, sin creates other cycles of sin, right? I've learned this, that oftentimes the thing that eats me up on the inside, isn't even the first thing I did. It's the stuff I did afterward to try to hide the thing that I did. All right, I'm preaching to like four people in the room. That one hit. That that one, I I felt it. It's like I poked your wound. And you're like, ah, I felt that, right? Because that's the stuff you're losing sleep at night. Not only does David, David goes from sleeping with a woman to killing the dude. That's like zero to 100 so fast. That's so unnecessary. But how many know that's how it lands with us sometimes? I'm not saying we're killing people, but one sin leads to another sin. Unchecked sin creates other cycles of sin. And so some of you are dealing with this cycle of sin over here when that's not even what triggered it. It's this other cycle of sin that you've been allowing. And what's really the root of it is something completely different. Right? David, he goes and he says, you know what? I'm going to murder Uriah because that's the best way out. And and this is how crazy this is. David sends Uriah with the letter... That's his death note. And Uriah has so much integrity, he doesn't read the letter. Family, if that were me, I'm cheese muscle. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? If you're not Mexican, that, that, I like the cheese man. I like to know the tea. I, la- I would have read that letter in a heartbeat. Like when my brother Alex lived with me, I opened his mail all the time. I didn't even care. He lived in my house. Come on, parents. You know what I'm talking about? Who's writing you a letter? What a state farm want with you. You know what I'm saying? Like... You pay your bills on time. Uriah has so much integrity that he is carrying the letter that's going to kill him. And David is creating sin cycle after sin cycle. It is reproducing sin. And can I tell you that the way to kill the sin cycle of your life is repentance and accountability and confession and coming to Jesus. We cannot allow sin cycles to produce other sin cycles. Number eight, because sin causes unnecessary casualties. The Bible says that not only Uriah dies, but it says that the archers from the wall shot out. And as Uriah was there, also some of David's mighty men died as well. So not only did Uriah die, but people that David cared about also died. People that David loved also died. Fathers and brothers and sons And husbands died because of David's secret sin. I want to tell you today that you are foolish to think that your sin only has to do with you. How dare you think? This is the lie that the enemy would have you do it. That's why I'm going to talk aggressively because I'm going to call him out in your mind. How dare you think that your sin has nothing to do with your kids? how dare you think that your sin doesn't have to do with the generations that are coming after you if the enemy can get you to believe it's all about you then you're fine but your sin will cause unnecessary casualties your sin will produce things that you never wanted to produce that's why it is so important that we aggressively attack sin for the rest of our life we allow the grace and mercy of God to empower us so that way the next generation doesn't have to deal with what I deal with and doesn't have to struggle with what I struggle with that my sin will not be communicated and reciprocated to someone else Why? Because I have learned to allow the things that I am dealing with to deal with it with God. You know what's the worst is when parents come to me and they're struggling with their 15 year old kid, but they've been doing the same thing in secret for 20 years. And you act like going to church for four weeks is going to solve everything, but you've been in sin for 10 plus years. And now you're mad because your kid's not following Jesus, but you haven't been following Jesus. You have confessed Jesus with your lips and not with your life. And what that has done is produce casualties. And now they have to kill it and you have to kill it together. There is hope for this because Jesus dies on a tree to save your family tree. And the gospel still works. But how dare us think that we don't have to do the work, that we don't have to try, that we don't have to be consistent, that we don't have to allow God to do what he needs to do in us. And how can we believe that it doesn't affect anyone else? Family, our sin affects other people. So let's take it serious and let God do what he needs to do. A couple more, two more. Sin desensitizes our love for others. Here, let me talk to the Christians for a minute. So for those of you that are like, I've been saved for like 15, 20, 30 years. Let me talk to you. Your secret sin produces a pharisaical spirit in you if you don't address it. Because you know what you do? You lose compassion for others because you know what sin does? It hardens your heart and it decreases your emotional capacity. Some of you in the room are numb. You know why? Because your sin has been numbing you and you can't feel anymore. And it's also probably because of the sin that happened to you, which is Awful, and I'm so sorry you went through that. But what also is not the solution is sinning against yourself and sinning against others. And you are continually in the cycle of numbness in your heart. Sin will desensitize your love for others. David hears of Uriah dying. David hears of his friends dying. And David sees his now going to be wife mourning, and he does nothing. He says, go back to battle and kill them. A few chapters before, if you read David, if you read Psalms and Samuel and you read about David, David is an emotional dude. David feels, David loves, David cares. We just talked about that last week where David cares about someone like Mephibosheth, who's a cripple. David is emotionally connected with his people. God calls him the shepherd of Israel. And now all of a sudden he doesn't care. Why? Because the sin of his life has desensitized his compassion. You know what that will begin to do for some of us who are especially Christians. As you continue to allow secret sin in your life, you no longer believe that God can heal the prodigal. You no longer believe that God can love on someone who's unlovable and you will begin to do you turn into judgments why because it's easier to stay numb than to care it's why jesus would call out the pharisees and say you brood of vipers you snakes you're making everyone go through hoops but yet you still aren't even legit you know the problem with the pharisees it wasn't just that they thought they were right it's that they thought they were right but in secret they were sinning and doing things behind their back and why is that true because they killed jesus for it That's all the proof you need. David is desensitized because of what he's done. But God still softens hearts. And God still heals. And the last line is that sin breaks the heart of God. I want you to know that this conversation is not, okay, you feel bad about yourself, now go follow the rules. No, I want you to understand that every time we sin, we are reminding the father of what he had to put his son through. I want you to think of the worst day of your kid's life. I want you to imagine you having to relive that again and again because someone else made you think about it. I want you to understand that when you sin you are reminding the Holy Spirit on how he had to keep Jesus on that cross for the price he paid for your life. And I want you to understand that when God sees us sin he doesn't hate us but my God it breaks his heart. It crushes him crushed him to see that David do that. The Bible says it displeased the Lord. That means God felt something when David messed up. Why on earth should God care about us that he would feel for us? I'm just saying it's God and then it's us. Like we're really down here. And if you're like, well, I just, I just think that's a weird, weird gospel and that doesn't make me feel good about myself. Sorry, that's the Bible. Psalm says, what is man that God is mindful of him? That's the beauty of the gospel is that God who's greater than everything still decides to get involved with us. And God forbid that I would think that I deserve God's grace and mercy. And that every time I fall, it breaks his heart. I, I want you to know that, that, that it, he emotionally, God, God is emotionally invested in you. Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? Some of y'all, you like, you ain't even emotionally invested with your boss. You know what I'm saying? Like, even when you hurt him, he is emotionally invested in you. And so for me, my prayer, when I read this, is like, Jesus, whatever breaks your heart, take it out of me. Whatever gets in the way, take it out of me. Whatever gets in the way of our relationship, God, take it out of me. Whatever breaks your heart, break it off my life whatever breaks your heart and the things I do the things I say the way I look at things God do the deep work in me call me higher call me deeper I don't want anything to separate me and you I don't want anything to get in the way of the relationship I know that nothing can separate us and I know that you're always going to be there for me but God I don't want to just take that and get entitled and manipulate a gospel that should not be manipulated I want to be wholehearted I want to be pure I want to have God in all of the areas of my life I don't want anything in me I don't want any secrets sin, any secret motive, any secret agenda to have the heart of God broken in my life. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but that's much different than just, eh, I'm going to do whatever I want. Because that's not what this thing is about. If you think Christianity is you coming in here and doing whatever you want, and that God's going to give you a get out of jail free card, and you're not going to go to hell, you've missed it. You've missed it, you've missed it, and chances are, you might not even get to heaven. I'm just telling you that right now. You don't know. I wouldn't take that. You got better odds in Vegas than that. But you can have an authentic, real, loving, powerful, dynamic, transformative relationship with a God who decides to how the mountains, how tall they are, and the sand, how many sand pebbles and how many pieces of sand there are, and tells the oceans where to stop and the seas where to start, and says everything about the universe. And that God, the God of everything, the God that creates designs, that is beautiful, that is glorious, that is amazing, that is the God who decides to watch to get involved on a random Tuesday where you're driving to work and see what's going on with your family and how to work with your life and how to develop you from the inside out and how to do things not just for you but for the generation and the next generation to come and that God is emotionally invested and that's the God I don't want to break his heart I don't want to break my wife's heart why would I want to break God's that's what this thing's about real relationship it's the thing that David missed and it's a tragic fall And I think God would share with us this because he doesn't want us to make the same mistake. Do me a favor, stand to your feet with me. And close your eyes. We're gonna let you go. I know it was tough, but I believe sometimes we have to hear the tough stuff. It's medicine to the soul. Paul described it as circumcision of the heart, the cutting of things that don't need to be there. As your eyes are closed, I have a question for you and just think about it. And I believe this is why part of why Jesus wanted to talk about this today, is what is Jesus trying to stop? I think he wanted to reveal these things because there's some things in your life he's trying to stop, cut out. What is Is it sin? What is it? What type of sin? What's going on? And only you and God can do this. So as we close our eyes, I want you to put your hand on your heart and I want you to, repeat this after me. Say this, Holy Spirit, speak to me and reveal to me what you want to say. Now, as your hands on your heart, I'm going to have Pastor Juan on the team. Just sing out a couple minutes. We're going to let you go right now, but we need to do this with the Lord. And let him begin to share with you he might show you a memory, a vision, he might be going to give you a word. He might just tell you. You might just already have a feeling of what I need to cut out, what I need to repent of. And this is what we're going to do. Pastor Juan's going to lead worship for just a minute. We're going to sing. We're going to let God speak to our hearts and then we're going to repent of the thing because that's the solution is the gospel and repentance. And so, Pastor Juan, go ahead and lead us out. Let's take a minute and let's allow God to speak to our hearts in a real way. Once again, thank you so much for joining in and listening to the message brought to our house this past Sunday. We love you and we pray you have a blessed day and blessed week.